Hey, this is your host, Daxton. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Clueless Drifting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. We have on Bailey Arthur, the cat daddy himself. Um, we also have with us in studio uh, Jaden and Caleb. Hola. Or, or Jaleb and Caden. <laughs> uh, we got Tyler back this week as well. He's got his, mi- he's got his mic with him. And Yo. Kenyon. Kenyon is here partying along. So, so Bailey, do you, was it Cat Daddy or Bailey? Because I know people call you both. <laughs> That's about 50-50, to be honest. <laughs> where, did the, where did the Cat Daddy come from? If you don't mind me asking. Um, it's actually really just because I used to foster cats. <laughs> oh, really? Fair, <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I'd say yep. that's a good enough reason. So, uh, so you, you were supposed to be on drift week this week, right? I was, but I got way too busy with work. What, uh, and sorry, go ahead. So, yeah, so I got way too busy with work and then they announced drift week seven with Naoki Nakamura. So I signed up for that instead. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh. So are they doing open invitations now, or do you still have to be invited to it? You have to do an application okay. and see what happens. Very Did you nice. get approved for that then, I would assume? or? Yep, got approved, paid the fine, <laughs> we're in. <laughs> nice. Where does that take place at? I don't follow So this one's going to... Yeah, so Drift Week 6 is happening right now. It just started. That's in Texas. Drift Week 7 will start at Muscleman Honda Circuit down in Arizona, work its way up through SoCal, Okay. then stop in Vegas and end right here in Utah. I think oh. they're doing two days in Utah. Oh, oh really? Nice. I'll have to maybe stop by and check that out. Yeah, I think it'll be public days in Utah, so you guys should be able to come drift in the end of February with us all. Oh, that'd be sweet. That would be fun, actually. What a, is it just at UMC that they're doing that? Yep. Dang, they're claiming road course. Really? That would be cool. We'll see. I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll see for sure. So kind of kind of give us a rundown on an introduction about you. What what brought you to drifting? How'd you get where you're at? And and kind of just give us your, your background. Your, your story. So my name is actually Bailey Groudage. It's only Arthur on Facebook because my old Facebook got messed up during the last election. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) That's definitely good to know. (laughs) Yeah. um, I've been messing with cars since I was like 12 years old. I had a super good mentor. Uh, My neighbor had an S14 that was S15 converted back then and Nice. Wow. We started doing motor swaps way back in the day and street racing seven days a week. My parents had no clue. They were getting a divorce. I never saw my parents. I was like 14 years old, street racing since all the way back then. Wow. <laughs> so you kind of had cars so, as like a like a, a a safety net almost, it sounds like. Uh, safety net? <laughs> I guess I got lucky. <laughs> Where where was that taking place? Was that here in Utah or was that? No, that was in SoCal, okay. Los Angeles area. Seems like there's a lot of guys who kind of started in the SoCal area. Yeah, so I grew up in, in Logan, Utah. And when I was seven or so, my parents moved to California chasing the higher paying jobs. Okay. Mm. And 
we'd come back to Utah, back to California, all throughout my life, visiting family and stuff. You know how that goes? Yeah. So I'm really familiar with both areas, California and Utah. Sure. I'm not really a Utah native, though. They washed off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how long were you in California before going, before coming back here to Utah? So I moved back here about seven, maybe eight years ago. And I took one jaunt back to California for a year for some schooling in 2019. Other than that, I've been here for most of my 20s. I'm almost 30 now. Gotcha. Very nice. So so following up, you know, when, when you're getting into cars, so you started off around 12 or 14. And so you already, sounds like you were driving at 14 is what you're saying already. Yeah. So when I was 14, I had dirt bikes and I got my first car. I had, I was flipping cars and motorcycles since I was 13. Mm. By the time I was 14, I had my own car. What was it? And I would drive it around. <laughs> Nice. So my first car was a 1979 Mazda 626, I think. Sweet. Nice. <laughs> it's a good start, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it was basically an FBRX7 with a crappy Ford motor in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's very then cool. I, then I jumped into an MK3 Supra. Nice. Then I got an S13 after that. By the time I actually got my license so <laughs> i sold the dirt bikes got into street bikes rode those without a license for a year and a half <laughs> and then got my first car that i could legally drive that was an a86 nice that's sweet <laughs> that's a great car to have around you know to be running around so in total how many cars have you had Lost like track. 70 or something like that. Wow. <laughs> oh, dang. I thought I was doing good. Yeah, and like 50 bikes. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. That's quite yeah. That's quite a few. Um, you know, real quick, asking, uh, out of those cars, do you have any particular favorites or ones that you remember more than others for specific reasons? So when I was 17, I got an S13 Coupe. Sick. And I did an RB20 swap on it. It was so funny because I had helped my mentor do a bunch of motor swaps. We were picking up SR20s left and right, swapping, yeah. flipping cars, 2Js, RB swaps, whatever. And I was like literally depressed because it took me a whole entire week to do my motor swap. <laughs> That's <laughs> impressive like, as it is. Why did it take me so long? Because we would do them, we would do them in under a day. That's wow. wow. So you guys are familiar. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We were super duper familiar, but the SR swap versus the RB swap was the wiring and then making the mounts. I just felt like it took me so long. I was struggling. And then I welded my first diff on that car too. Nice. And it just seemed like it took me a whole entire day to get it out of the car and weld it. And I'm like, <laughs> I should just quit being a mechanic. <laughs> I'd say you're pretty far ahead. <laughs> so the wait, bar so, was just set so high. Yeah. Were you were you drifting any? I mean, like you, these. Uh, I heard a, a couple of rear wheel drive cars so far. Were you like drifting yet, or that was that just still just like just street cars, or like what what were they being used for? 
drifting from day one. Gotcha. <laughs> was this like my street drifting, or was this like track? Street. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like Sean Sean Whitcop. I don't know if you've uh, talked much with him or not, but that's kind of because he was in yeah. SoCal and he did a lot of street stuff. As, as no, he was in right? NorCal. Oh, was he in NorCal? Yeah. Okay, never mind. So yeah, the street drifting is a lot different in California. You can get a lot of seat time. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've heard. What was your first exposure to drifting then? Uh, what was it called? The it was like not Formula Drift. It might have been D1. Might have been the last D1 event that they had. I went down to Urbandale, watched that. Ah, cool. uh, that was my first in-person exposure. Yeah. And then there was All-Star Bash at Willow. That was like 20 minutes away from my house. I would go to that. Nice. But the real exposure was those grainy videos on streetfire.net <laughs> and torrent. <laughs> nice. That's and like t- just crazy, like Tezuka in that black, uh, what was it? The JZX 81, you know, oh, like yeah, yeah. full speed Koguchi in that black S13 with the VSKFs, like, or Blitz. I can't remember what wheels he had, but I just literally watched that video hundreds of times, like, oh my <laughs> gosh, he's never letting off the gas. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so different that you'd see from any other type of racing, which I imagine you being close to the racetrack, so you probably saw multiple different styles of racing, right? Yeah, we'd go watch like GT cars, Porsches, sport bikes, but drifting was didn't need a roll cage. That's yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Is, was that what the it. appeal was that like, <laughs> kind of helped you like start into it, or? Yeah, I mean, we were doing like insane street drags and yeah. like winning a whole lot of races nice so that obviously just like primed me to say huh i don't have to pay an entry fee on the street and i don't need a roll cage i'll just stay on the streets yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. no that totally makes sense and it seems like there's a lot of guys that kind of started off that way it does kind of seem like it's trending away from from street stuff now at least from my what i can see but I, I don't know if that's still like a strong thing going on in uh, California or not, um, or if it's oriented more towards track use now. I think it's mostly on the track. Especially to do, be honest, it seems like it's been cracking. Like California ball places have probably been cracking down quite a bit on a lot of that stuff as well, and at least in recent years, which I'm sure doesn't help for that sort of scene. Yeah, I mean, if everybody turns it into a party, just sitting here as a sitting duck. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you guys going more like for mountain roads, or is this just like parking lots, or what, what was kind of the areas that you guys went for? I never drifted parking lots, ever. It was always corners on roads far away from society or industrial areas in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like, it was different. They didn't really have those gigantic warehouses they have now, you know? Like, there was pop-up warehouses. They're just massive. It was... Those really didn't seem like they were invented yet with the pre-made sides. So the the districts used to be different the way they had the semi-truck, like, lanes and stuff. Yeah. Utah doesn't have anything like it. I've looked a lot. (laughs) I've been looking for a spot. 
like the 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 location kind of that you've been looking for, or the the like the people and the scene and the 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 kind of experience that you haven't been able to find. I meant the location. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Just that the industrial areas are a lot different. This is what you're kind of saying. Yeah, they're just laid out way differently. It makes it makes it extremely challenging to find a solid spot. But what's the point, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you compare that, you know, in your experience from track uh to to street, you know, what are the main differences which do you prefer? Rest in peace to me, but I prefer the street. <laughs> ah, he belongs to the streets. What what sort of factor is is uh is guiding that decision for you? It's just way bigger. That's why. Like, like big, sorry, go ahead. It's really it's really, really dangerous to drift on the street. I'm not gonna pretend like nothing bad has ever happened. Right. <laughs> but like I've I've clicked fourth gear on the street before. <laughs> like Jeez. Yeah, I guess I'm just down for it, but it's not what most people do for street drifting. Most people are hitting one turn. Yeah. Little tug of the e brake. Cool. I yeah, drifted they, on the right. street. Yeah, they right. slid around a corner. Is, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about something like way different that i just can't recommend anybody do it right like in good conscience i don't want someone to get seriously hurt yeah <laughs> no yeah. that's totally understandable so and has have you i haven't heard of much street drifting in at least uh the local utah scene have have you still managed to find yourself street drifting in recent years or have you found yourself only at the track don't incriminate yourself yeah hypothetically <laughs> <laughs> Just look at the eyebrows going up and down. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what, did, you know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what I really, I really can't stress this enough. I would never invite someone to go out with me because I think it'd be morally wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Which is at least a responsible way to look at it. Is yeah. as responsible as you can be, I suppose, in that situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. I used to do this thing called Toge Tuesday. I was in a I would organize a street cruise, cruise air quotes. <laughs> yeah. In SoCal. We uh -huh. did the same route every Tuesday. And it only took about three months to like start attracting people that weren't part of our group who wanted to try it out. Uh-huh. And it only took about one more month for someone to crash. Ah. <laughs> Makes sense. So then we imposed speed limit rules and we'd have like a meeting before the drive about it's not a race. We're just trying to maintain like a constant G-force around every turn. So we want to be at like seven tenths on every turn, every aspect. You know, if you're right. using the brakes, you're probably going too fast on the straights, blah, blah, blah. Right. It didn't matter. People went insane. We're like in little golfs and civics and two forties, just like smoothly driving through, which is really quick way to go through the canyons. Yeah. Get people in Cobra Mustangs and Subarus literally slamming into the guardrails, just trying to keep up. Ah. So I see. So that more. kind of taught me like people on the streets it's real dangerous right and then i decided guys 
don't forget this toge tuesday stuff people are getting too crazy with it it's not what it was supposed to be right so i ended up going down to florida to work for a couple of weeks and i got this picture on my phone and it was like 2012 i think so you know the phones were real crappy and had like yeah high quality images yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i just saw this picture of this red 240sx coupe like tin canned like oh, smashed no. the, the the roof was even caved in Ugh. and i'm like oh no i recognize that that's my friend abel's car what happened uh and i could tell by the way the dirt was which road it was on and i'm like oh man my friend is dead oh no somehow he got out without a scratch oh thank <laughs> god <laughs> good sure that was quite a relief but to find out that was when we stopped canyon racing whatsoever yeah my whole group of friends all welded our diffs got three-piece wheels and just started playing around drifting instead it was way lower speeds yeah instead of flying through the canyons because you're taking the turn a lot slower imagine with the drifting of course to maintain wheel speed um right yeah so you drop down your speed which of course reduces risk of bodily harm i suppose (laughs) yeah Yep, exactly. Were you going through like the same places? No, we switched. Nobody, only me and my other, one other friend would drift the canyons, but completely privately. Right. Like everybody else would go to the the warehouse areas and just, you know. Well, we made like a loop. We'd hit like this warehouse and we'd drive to the next one and do this giant loop around town. Yeah. So we weren't anywhere in one spot too long. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. Not to draw too much attention. We got exactly. But <clears throat> any anyways, that's not the way to do things. Yeah. Ah. So, so <laughs> um about what point um and I and I know you work uh with like Rudy Hansen and a couple other people, and you've, I saw that you worked on that truck at SEMA. Uh, we were just there, and we saw the truck that you worked on. And so okay. what what point did you start kind of working on, like, other people's cars? Uh, you said, was that when you were doing engine swaps with your mentor, or were those other people's cars, or was that, like, flips? or? Yeah, so my mentor was doing flips. We very rarely worked on other people's stuff. Okay. 2013, me and my friend Tony Crispin, Tony Crispin, we started this thing called Battleground Auto. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The name was Battleground because we were obsessed with the lowest car we could possibly get. (laughs) (laughs) We're battling the actual road. You're you're battling the ground. Over the road. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That's a great backstory. And I'm guessing the road uh, won a few more times than you wanted it to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'd joke that we'd need a petition to the government to lower the roads. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And, and that's so when we were, started working on other people's cars. Yep. Yeah, we'd do a lot of wide body kit installs, coilovers, fender rolling, wire tucks, because you know a lot of cars chew up the wires if you don't tuck them. Yeah. Wheel fitment. That was our main our main thing and okay, we did so, some body work so the battle the battleground that that was other people's vehicles yep okay was that your guys main job or is that just a side job 
Yeah, we didn't have any side jobs. We just worked on people's cars. We went full in. Nice. And and how long did you do that? Couple of yeah, I think like four or five years. Oh wow, that's pretty good. What happened there? I got super sick. So I got smashed on a motorcycle, like a uh, left hand turn in front of me. Oh no. I, yeah. It gave me a super bad concussion that basically took me out of like the workforce for like two years. Oh wow. wow. That's crazy. I kept I kept trying to go back to work, but that the concussion messed up my freaking head. So <laughs> concussions are no joke. Like they're they're definitely something that can cause some serious damage and have some lasting effects. When did the accident happen? That was twenty fourteen. So it was weird. I still kept working on people's stuff, but I literally lived off of three to five hours of work a week for like a couple of years. What? That's wow. impressive. So I had like no cool cars, no money, just barely surviving, doing like minimal really work and there. minimal work. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> Not you... a good place to be. Oh, totally. Where were you staying? Was that at your own place that you had to pay for or? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds, especially in, you know, SoCal, I imagine that definitely was not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. After, after a while, I moved back to Logan because I knew the living expenses were really cheap. Yeah. And, and that's where I've stayed in Logan pretty much. And how, how do you Probably. like that? Uh, it's not great. It's Logan. It's really <laughs> small. It's cold. You guys get a good bit it of gets, snow up there. Gets snowy. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I like going down to Salt Lake and stuff, but anywhere you go, there's always something better somewhere else. So I just right. stick here for now. Grass yeah. on the other Pro, side. Pros and cons. So wait, so when when you moved here to Logan, what did you start doing for work? Same thing, just working on S13s. Everybody's S13 I could find, or Skyline, or whatever. So was it around that time that you started being able to work more hours in a day or still very, very few? No. So a long time ago, I did alarm installations for a company okay. and I got my brother-in-law became a manager. So I went to Texas for three and a half months and just like, I don't even know how I managed to work but I made like a bunch of money nice. in those four months. And that just like gave me a cushion for another like two years of my, of migraine and TBI recovery. That's actually <laughs> quite impressive that you were able to manage that. Hella caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> caffeine fixes a lot of things, doesn't it? So is that when, when you came back to Logan and, and we're working on people's S, S chassis and things like that. Is that kind of what led you into the Q, the, the Q45s and everything? Because that's, that's how I met you, is you guys were the crazy people driving Q45s from two hours away to come down and drift and then drive them all the way back home, broken or not. Yeah. Um, what happened? Well, COVID happened, right? So after, right in the middle of 2019, when I was in California again, I finally came up with the, I don't know, I just went over the hump and all my migraines were gone and oh, I wasn't having head issues anymore. It just like happened. It was a snap of a finger and I'm like, I'm back. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> awesome. 
So uh, I was like, something's up with this with this political climate. I'm just going to snatch up my CDL real quick because as soon as 2020 hits, there, there was just some stuff going on. I'm like, economy might take a dip. I don't need to be ready with a backup plan. Yeah. CDL so, is a great backup plan. Yeah. And I went, I went to for a year of graphic design school when I was in California. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the best backup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's understandable. CDL, it's like you always need drivers. Right. And sure enough, 2020, I'm like, all right, I'm hitting the open road, did long haul throughout the bulk of that COVID lockdown stuff. Yeah. Made a bunch of money again. Nice. And then I came back and I'm like, I need an S13. Time to drift. Couldn't find one. So I figured I've got a bunch of S13 parts. What car can I just put S13 stuff on and just drive yeah. without, without much messing around? And that just happened to find a Q45. Huh. Yeah. So they're that that compatible, that uh, that's similar? A lot of the parts are the same. Huh. Never would have guessed that. Yeah, I, but, wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that either, thinking of a Q45. Yeah. And then it didn't, there was no angle kit. So that's what caused me to start this new research project. Mm -hmm. Kind of dive into something so, right, new. Yeah. Because I went to school for engineering and business, and I worked in aerospace for a while. Yeah. Right before the battleground oh, okay. stuff. Yeah. As soon as I got that bad concussion, like less than six months later, it was like, nope, can't can't manage to hold down the nine to five with a commute. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Interesting. So, um. Uh, you said this project is, is are, are you referring to like are you make, trying to develop stuff for the Q45 then? So I did develop like an angle kit for them. Nice. Using other parts from GK Tech mostly. Okay. But I also took like a bunch of measurements and did like I did like 15 different setups on Q45s just testing all sorts of variables and factors just trying to figure out what are we even doing out there like drifting isn't just skating a car around there's right. so many different factors like entry and rate to angle and all these different type of things yeah i mean just uh, just steering geometries and stuff alone are are a very complex thing add in drifting Add in all these other unique factors. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. So with that, I ended up spending like 1,500 hours doing research and res resetting up cars and measuring stuff and using computer simulations to try to figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. And I came up with like a unified theory for for drifting setups that I think is like ideal and i can apply it to any car is that just like and a I'm suspension like, geometry and steering angle setup or yep pretty much that and then a little bit about weight distribution and somewhat i mean you could add it like motor power band stuff in there but that's not yeah. as critical mm -hmm. right so with the uh... So it was la or was this last season uh, of Formula Drift the first time that you had kind of gone around and helped out on uh, who's was it Rudy's team? It was Rudy, right? 
Yeah, that was my first season helping Rudy with Formula Drift. How did that go? So went super good. He he moved up in the rankings like eight positions, I think, over his previous year. Oh dang. Nice. And, and that was all because like, of your suspension tuning, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. A thousand percent all me, right? <laughs> no, but we did have the According to my data, we did have the fastest car or the top three fastest car at every round. Wow. And we did have the fastest car in Utah by a pretty healthy margin. And we were even faster than some of the Pro 1 cars. That's very impressive. So did you mostly do suspension setup on his car or were you also working on other aspects of it as well? No, I just did suspension. I mean, every once in a while we'd have to do like something crazy and i would go in and help with like uh last minute stuff but pretty much just suspension okay which really means spying on everybody getting everybody's <laughs> numbers <laughs> and kind of figuring out the field right and how to work with it or are you using that knowledge exactly. to advance your own setup i don't I didn't really learn anything from FD that I would apply back into my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was just trying to beat the other guys. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. So would you change the setup of the car depending on who you're competing against at all? Um, Just higher pressure, if anything. If someone is real slow, we might bump up to back pressure. Otherwise, not really. Yeah, I guess that would make sense so you don't have to relearn the car every single time that you wanted to go out. Right, exactly. And you get hardly any practice laps. And the uh, judging is, they say it's 40% line, but it's like 90% line. <laughs> yeah. I heard that there was some weird judging going on this year with the with the FD rounds. Specifically, I think it was Irwindale that a lot of people were throwing a fit about. Yeah, there has been controversy about the judging and... That's been for a long time. And there's only one common denominator left, one of the judges. I've heard he might be retiring. I don't know for sure. But which judge? I don't I don't love FD personally because of that. Gotcha. It's I won't say any names because, you know. That's all <laughs> that's, speculation. No, that's all that's, that's totally fair. <laughs> So, you know, it's, if FD is not your favorite, do you have a style of drifting? Is it just, you know, grassroots? Or is there another league or something that you prefer over FD? Yeah, I'm really obsessed with drifting competition. I'm not super into just play days for the fun of it. Because mm -hmm. um, it's so expensive. If I wanted to just simply have fun, like... I'll I'll rent a movie and like get a bunch of treats and chill on the couch with my wife and daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that that makes total sense. It's not like all that you need for fun. You have other aspects for that. Yeah, I'm really. I would love to get more drivers. Like I'm working with Brandon Wicknick too. You know, and mm -hmm. see if see if I can get them to win and feel like their car was easy to drive. Yeah. So are you setting up Brandon's car as well? Just his pro car okay. that he just finished. All right, well, that's pretty so, cool. Other competitions I like more is like D1. You know, the the judging is a lot different. It's more related to commitment than it is line. And I think that's 
it's a little bit harder to commit fully than it is to just simply hit lines. Sure, sure. What do you think about things like uh, clutch kickers? I went to clutch kickers this year with Brandon for round three, I believe. Nice. With a rental car. Oh, that was the white plate uh, JZ, JZX, wasn't it? Um, I helped him with that one over the phone. Okay. I wasn't there for that. The next round with the S14, the nitrous outlet. Oh, yes. I would say that car wasn't really good. <laughs> Sorry to the owner of it. It's not the car's fault. It's just it didn't have enough time to be developed. Uh-huh. But um, clutch kickers, I don't think is that's not going to be the one that's going to last. I don't think unless they do some serious changes. It was very not fun. Really? And what would be Hot the reason pit. for that? So the the way they just ran everything made it very, very frustrating for the drivers. And it just didn't seem like it was consistent. So it's really hard to compete and throw it down in three laps of practice if the goalpost is moving. Oh. So that was pretty frustrating. Interesting. And it's clutch kickers is losing popularity super fast. Uh, it, the stands had like 20 people in them to watch in person. Oh, really? Ever since they moved the venues and put it behind the paywall, it's fizzling away. Yeah. That would make sense. In my opinion. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear all the different opinions on each event. And so, um, with that, I mean, how do you, so with, with grassroots stuff, uh, you know, like the events that we hold locally, um, is it kind of like still one of those things where it's like, you know, you'd rather just be at a competition than go to something like a grassroots event or? Um, yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to have to choose between the two, I'll go to a competition every time. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes total sense. But do you still enjoy the grassroots just getting out there to have fun? Or would you, is that something since you already, you know, if you're driving on the street, do you even bother with that a whole lot? Um, yeah, I'll still go, like, I'll still enjoy myself, but I need to go with a purpose. Mm-hmm. If I haven't done any development, I'm not just going to go out there for no reason. Yeah. So it's like, if you haven't changed something on your car, or you're not trying something new, then you're, you're not going to spend the time to go out there. Yep. Okay. Which I, I get isn't the most like, I don't know. Some people might give me some hate for that, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's only so much time in a day and so much time you can spend in where you already where you're already chasing bigger goals and bigger dreams with it with going to all these competitions. The grassroots stuff kind of has to be let go a little bit so you can still maintain that family time and 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 do the things that you enjoy other than cars. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and so. honestly like go ahead. No, uh no, you continue, please. Yeah. Even unfortunately, the family time is always suffering. So, hmm. any day I can get with the family that's a solid day is like a, a miracle. Yeah, no, definitely. And are you running? Uh, I guess it's Cat Daddy Tuning, right? Is that your full time thing currently? Yep, full time, hundred percent. And if you're running that Just business, cool you know, cars. That's and, and I, we kind of I have an inkling of that idea of if you're running your own business, it's it's hectic, and it's very time consuming, <laughs> you know, mentally and physically. Yeah, 
And I think sometimes takes people all your time. that. <laughs> like how much time that really takes. Um, but, you know, going back to you, so I know you were driving the Q45s, but I feel like recently I remember you seeing uh, that you were going to be moving on from the Q45s. Yep, I don't own any Q45s anymore after five of them. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you got a lot of good use out of them, though, that's for sure. Oh, man, I can't. My only regret with them is not quitting a little bit sooner and getting <laughs> onto my other car a little faster. Well, what's your other car? So I have an E36. It's got a 2JZ in it. Nice. That's got a little sponsorship from Part Shop Max on the suspension and brake setup on it. How cool. And it's like 90-something percent done. It is so close. Okay. Could I've you... been watching your progress on that, and it's turning out awesome. I love Thank the, you. I love all the colors do on you, it. Do you think you could give us a, a more <laughs> in-depth rundown? I'd love to know, you know, what suspension, what's your diff, what's your management, transmission, um, kind of all that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. So it's a 2JZ GTE from a Mark IV Supra with a CD09 transmission from a 350Z. What, a, what adapter kit are you using? Uh, what's it called? Is it a Collins? I can't remember. It, I think it is a Collins. It's the kind you have to cut the bell housing off and use the sandwich plate on the front cover. Yeah. Are you using like an A340 or an R154 bell housing? Mm, A340. Okay. It's a J3, J2, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry, and then go ahead and continue. I've got the Tilton Concentric slave cylinder and the remote bleeder so that's sick that and a triple disc <laughs> tilt and clutch stout then the drive shaft uh what no excessive one piece uh drive shaft in there gk tech shifter um the turbo is the s257 sxe borg warner okay nice. Tu tubular manifold tile wastegate with water cooling on it Wow. So that I could run this car in time attack if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, converted the front end to use an S13 radiator hmm. because they're a hundred bucks. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you probably already it. had one laying around. A few. <laughs> I imagine. Was it? Uh, is that just better than the E36, or is it more or less just the price point? Just easy to get at eBay. Yeah. Speed Daddy, buy it now. It's here in two days. Right. Just, just plus it more doesn't simple have that. The, yeah, and it doesn't have the expansion tank and stuff like. Um, what else is on it? Uh, ECU Master Black Injector Dynamics, thirteen hundred CC injectors. Um, what else? I've got. I'm not going to run out on E85. I really hate E85. <laughs> Let it be known. Is it All just, of you. just due to Thank the availability? You. or? I, no, I hate the corrosive nature of it mm. and, the, and the smell. The smell <laughs> is terrible. I'd rather sense. pay 10 bucks a gallon for race gas. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to be running in on race gas or are you trying to do pump gas? Um, I'll have I'll have a tune for all the gases. Okay. So... That'll be nice. Give you some flexibility. So what do you have left on it? All I have left is hooking up 
like two wires and it will turn on and then i have a wide body kit that i need to install and paint it that's it is it an e36 coupe yeah okay cool nice. i do nice. like those those are good looking cars um but did you get the emu through uh brandon is that the reason you went with that or is there a specific reason you went with that say versus like aem or meg squared or any of the other brands so i did get it through brandon um Back when Emu was new, a long time ago, I learned about it when Brandon became a dealer, mm-hmm. and it just has way more functionality and circuitry built in. It's just a no-brainer. Emu a, Black a, is just a solid the best PC. deal. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And then uh, what's what's kind of like the goals with the car? So when you haven't finished, like what's your power goal? What's, what's the usage? Um, everything like that. Uh, my goal is to go win Hot Pit Auto Fest in it and whatever other competitions I can get to within a reasonable drive. Hot Pit? I don't know if I know that one. Hot Pit Auto Fest is a drift competition series run by Jeff Jones and SoCal. Okay. They run at the Orange Show Speedway, which is in Riverside. It's like a super shallow banked oval. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That sounds like fun. It was... Yeah, it was only uh, three fifty to enter the event. Payouts five grand. That's pretty good. Super fun events. Like they, they're the most fun drift competition I've ever seen in person. Because really, they have a schedule, practice, qualifying, competition, but they don't hold it down to the second. Gotcha. Like if. If for some reason you like have a little issue, they give you a cushion of, of time. They're not like cut it's not like a hard cut. All off. right, you're out. Gotcha. Yep. It's more driver oriented than than the spectators and and the views and all that kind of stuff. It's it's about the about the drivers. Do they uh? Do yeah. They, do they record this? Like, if I wanted to get a taste of it via the interwebs, where would I go look? I honestly don't know. They're not really good at getting content on it. Gotcha. Okay. I'll just do some, it's super some cool. searching. Yeah, there might not even be any live stream videos. I don't know, to be honest. Really? Well, this is something we'll have to look into. So so the plan is to kind of go to any competition you can and, and have a car that's set up to win it. Yep. Okay. And do you, do you drive the car or are you towing it? Um... Well, Hot Pit's cool because I can just order all my tires to be delivered there. So I might drive that car out there just for the hell of it. Nice. It's a good drive. Worst case, I ball it up. I just park it at my parents' house and fly home on a commuter flight or something. There you go. Easy enough. (laughs) That would do it. In true Cat Daddy fashion, driving to the track. Dude, if you can't drive down the freeway for an hour or two, there's no way the car is going to last a day of abuse. Right, right. (laughs) True. See, my worry isn't necessarily that my car's going to break. My worry is that, like, the one time I don't tow it to the track is the time I'm going to ball it up against the wall. I mean, I did. I crashed the I guess you crap did. Yeah, out you of my purple that. Q45. <laughs> <laughs> and you still made it back, right? My steering wheel is pretty crooked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Because I don't even live, you know, that far. Like, I'm, like, 40 minutes. But I guess I'm just the person I'm like, I'd rather be safe than sorry if I have that capability, you know? Yeah. Honestly, of 
all the track days I've done, I've only been sorry I drove there once because my crank sensor took a crap and I couldn't solve it until like way late in the day. So I only got like five laps. Gotcha. I think I actually remember that event because you guys had all of them lined up still at the very end of the day and you were running. I came over to check on you guys. and You're like, yeah, we'll, we'll be here for a little bit. We got some swapping to do. <laughs> Because I think one of them oh had cracked a radiator or something, something to do with the cooling, and yeah, yours was down from that. And I just remember you guys had a whole bunch of Q45 sitting there waiting to waiting on parts. Man, I forgot about that thing. So I've been sorry <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> we had the radiator though. You you had yeah. an extra radiator, or you were able to get one? We had one because Q45s. The motor has like crazy low in torque. Every once in a while, it just rips the motor mount in half. And up it flies, and it yanks on the upper hose and breaks the neck of the radiator off. Ah, it's the worst. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good And changing the motor mounts is literally like a 12-hour job. It's no joke. So at that point, you just change cars. (laughs) Yeah, put a ratchet (laughs) strap on the motor (laughs) until something else breaks. (laughs) (laughs) That'll, That'll do it. That's all you need. So what? I'm not super familiar with those Q45s. I know that people take uh, take the rear diffs out of them and use them in other cars, and they've got some they've got some enticing parts on them. But what motors are those running? It's a VH45, right? Yeah, yep. So how they rev to seven grand. So how would you compare those? Do you know the one UZ? Yeah. See, because I'm I'm personally a fanboy of the one UZ. But uh, my VH45 knowledge is a little bit, you know, iffy. So how would you compare those two engines, just out of curiosity? The VH45 is, like, an insanely capable engine. Like, way more, way more potential than the one you see on paper. Like, for mega power, mega reliability. But they just didn't make a whole lot of them. So... Mm. It's a really poor choice to choose a VH45 for any project. That's why I just throw them in the trash once they blow. Just lack of support, basically. What'd you say? Just just lack of support. There's literally almost no support. Uh-huh. I drove one like 60 miles with no water in there at all. Just I blew a coolant hose in the, under the intake manifold. Just drove it home anyways. Still runs. <laughs> wow. Hey, that's great. So, the, so they're at least like, or would you say that they're tough or, or not really? They're crazy tough. They're six bolt mains, closed deck block. They have like, they share, they have big valves. Their valves are bigger than, than, uh, M3 V8 valves. Wow. Like the new M3s. Like they, yeah, like people have used valves. them for boat motors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, not even with head studs, just bolt on turbos and put it in a boat, make 1,200 horsepower with literally no mods. That's like, insane. Wow. So like you said, just lots <laughs> of potential. They're just not many of them, and they're not well-supported. Right. It's actually the supposedly the base of the McLaren F1 engine, huh. and they use them in IndyCar, D-stroke to a 3-liter, and they've, like... The blocks are just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's cool to hear. See, I don't know a whole lot about them. I know that every time I see them, it makes me think that they're front-wheel drive. 
because of the intake. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get a lot of people that would come up and ask you that, or have you ever had that? Because it, it totally like if you just glance at it, that intake manifold being sideways, um, or the the run the way the runners are, it totally looks front wheel drive. Oh yeah, everybody, everybody comments that. <laughs> And, and the first time I saw one of them, I, it totally threw me for a loop because I had to look at it. I'm like, wait a second. I was like, that's doesn't look right at all. <laughs> yeah, they actually mentioned that in the old old advertisements for them that it was something like making it look familiar to U.S. buyers. And I'm like, what? the North Star? Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be familiar with the North Star. That's an engine I don't really care for. <laughs> That makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page there. With uh, so I remember taking one ride, and I think it was it was either you or it was Corn Dog that took me for a ride, and I did not realize you guys were running auto trans in those, and and just <laughs> throwing the hell like just really diving into the corner. Like when I took that ride, it was the craziest feeling ever, just having that thing whip out and just having to hold that momentum the whole time. Yeah, that that was the that was pretty wild. I I think there's a lot of people <laughs> who think, and and I want to get your opinion on this, but there's a lot of people out there who's like, you have to have you know a built drift car to start. You have to have a manual transmission to start. Um, and I I think there's a lot of people who you know an automatic definitely isn't perhaps as ideal, but there's no reason you can't go out and drift an automatic. You know. Is that a question? I guess that's more of a statement. <laughs> but I, I'm wanting your opinion on the automatic, you know, versus manual. Uh, automatic is honestly cool, like, but you absolutely have to have a car that has power behind it, or else mm -hmm. it's going to be terrible. If it has a V8 and automatic, I'll say go for it. it you won't have any problems. Yeah. If it's anything less, it won't be as fun. I think I drifted an automatic G35 or something. Not fun. <laughs> just <due laughs> just someone to, wanted me to try it. Just due to the power level or, or what was the main uh, stipulation there? Yeah, it's the power level. Like you got to be able to just like goose the throttle on and off and get the back tires to spin. Yeah. Gotcha. Because you're I, not going to clutch kick it. Really. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. it's a lot more about weight transfer, I guess, in something like that, right? Yeah. So, like, you definitely have to. It's a super good learning tool because there is no way to e-brake. There is no way to clutch kick. Yeah. Everything has to be oriented around weight transfer. Weight management, as I call it. Yeah. So I would te teach my buddies like with the automatics, like we'd go into a abandoned lot or whatever. And I'd be like, just go and steer the car left and right and let the throttle on and off in the same timing. And you'll start to feel that it wants to drift all by itself. And you're not even really pushing the gas yet. Yeah. That's, that's the weight transfer. Once you do that, then you give it a good jerk and floor it. That's how you're going to get into a big high speed drift. Uh, and I think weight management, you know, is the thing that people don't. So it's something I definitely didn't realize um, when I was getting into drifting is that, you know, you really use weight to your advantage because you can drive through an entire corner sometimes with just weight almost. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I don't know about you Miata guys. You don't have much weight to throw around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're working on that. I'm I'm putting my belly on. That's that's why you <laughs> slap a turbo on there. <laughs> you need a turbo for that. So in terms, you know, and we've talked about this on some of our previous episodes about, uh, say, like starter drift cars for people who want to get into it. And we all have varying opinions based off of price points and drivetrains and everything. Um, but, you know, from someone who's had 70 cars and set up cars <laughs> for uh, uh, a living for drifting and such, what's kind of your recommendation or your thought process on someone who wants to start and needs to buy a chassis say, you know, without spending a ton of money. What's a ton of money? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What's, I mean, what would you guys think? Like five grand is like what a lot of people would start with? I mean, I know if you're wanting to get in, I mean, of Me, course. I'm cheap, so I, I'm going to go like two, three. Yeah, I spent two. Or just, I spent, or just like least, what you would recommend to yeah. someone who's starting drifting. I, like I spent, where should they look first for a vehicle? Yeah, I spent $2,000 in my drift car, and I thought that was a pretty good deal. So, of course, the cheaper, typically the better. So I know that's difficult gauge because some guys could spend 10 grand and others only have one grand. Right. Like I spent like $1,000 and got three Q45. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Dang. I was dirt cheap. Yeah. The, so, Q, the Q45 or a car like that that's like, sort of got a V8 in an automatic. So like an LS400 Definitely. Perhaps? An LS is pretty boaty in comparison, but yeah, like it's. I think. Wait, are you saying anything... the Q forty five isn't? <laughs> no, you should. You guys should have drove one. Like, I, I have no nuts. point of reference to no Q forty fives, but I've had three LS four hundreds, so I know those. But I do know people yeah, also they're... sell angle kits for them. No. So yeah, like the Q, I think drives a lot different um than an ls but it just you know if you can stiffen it up enough well diff like just whatever you can get your hands on if it if budget's a concern you know if you're not done with college maybe finish college first then <laughs> then pick up a drift car that's usually my my honest speech yeah i try to ask somebody not how much are you going to buy your car for but how much can you spend on drifting for the whole season right Right. That's what I like to kind of get turn the conversation towards that. Right. Yeah. Because disposable like, income is really the part that makes like the squeeze happen where you can't get out there on the track anymore and it's stressing you out and you get bummed out. Right. Right. Yeah. Because right. but like, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say even even once you have the car and you have everything set up and you're good to go and you you say the car is done. I mean. <clears throat> quotes around that but axles break radiators break <laughs> yeah once, once the car is set up to the point where you're not dumping loads of money into it anymore yeah it it, it, it does come down to oh crap you still have a hundred hundred and fifty two hundred dollar entry fee tires fuel and and if you have a tow rig then fuel for the tow rig the trailer and just all that stuff and it, it is a lot to maintain through a season yeah it gets yeah so gets like i would bear so I would definitely say buy a car based around its drivetrain strength, not the horsepower it comes with from right. the factory. Right. Like every time. Reliability. Like five, five by one fourteen bolt pattern. Yep. Like if possible, you know, like axles. Mm -hmm. Are they known to eat up diffs or 
are the diffs like bulletproof yeah you know stuff like that so like a g37 is i think of all the cars that's still kind of cheap a g37 is like legit uh not going to cost you a lot of money after you buy it right they have a lot of power the drivetrain's super strong um and there's a ton of parts available yeah if you can get past the looks so I'm going to ask, and I don't know if you have a whole lot of experience with these, but of course me being the Mustang guy, um, because I have them, and I'm not going to talk about talk about mine, but I want to know in comparison to say like a G37 if you have much experience, because you can go out and buy an SN95, a Fox body, uh, a new edge, even an S197 Mustang nowadays for less than four grand. Like I can buy a GT S95 for a grand, two grand if you shop around, and those have an 8.8 in the rear, you know, and they can have a T5 or a TR. I think it's a 3060, and so they're a tough powertrain. Um, so I want to know, like, what do you do? You have opinions on those? I'm just more or less curious, I guess. Yeah, the Mustangs are awesome. Um, imagine you can squeeze your way into one with a Coyote. You know what I mean, or or whatever. Like some, the Mustangs have a strut up front, not a double wishbone. Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge advantage in drifting. The double wishbone, just based or off the geometry. Person? mcpherson yeah and why do you think and is that just due to the uh, ability that for more angle easily or what do you think about that mm, it's it's the way that the steering jacking can happen and the kingpin inclination is can be adjustable i think it makes a humongous difference that it becomes almost impossible to adjust on double wishbones okay I'd love, I, you know, I'd, I'd really love for you to drive mine actually sometime. I know this is a, a podcast, not necessarily about that, but I would be interested for you to drive, you know, my Mustang and see kind of what you think of the setup. I don't know if you've driven them before or not. Um, no, sure. I've never driven one. Well, you, I'd be happy to let you to drive mine and see what you think. <laughs> see, how, see how I've botched it. <laughs> hey, I'd be happy to try it. But, Solid axle is cool too because you get good tire wear. Yeah, that has been a nice factor. Is I just literally swap them side to side, and so I know there's a lot of guys do like the G37s or the uh, I imagine 350, 370Zs kind of in the same playing field, of course, as those two. Um, and then there's a lot of BMWs. I've noticed that there's been that trend of BMWs going around. I obviously you own an E36, so I'm sure you have some sort of uh, love for them or aspect that you like. So what do you compare? <laughs> I would, he shakes his head. Shakes no. his head. Oh, boy. <laughs> no. oh, boy. So, okay. So there's a lot of guys who are getting into that. So what's what's your opinion there? So I developed a new angle kit for the E36 for Damien Johnny Bones. Okay. Radically departed from the current theory of all the kits for sale. Huh. And once I did that, and I'm like, all right. I guess I'm getting an E36 because like, okay, I can, I can win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, before I'd driven them and I'm like, forget it. These are not good. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what made you decide uh, that? Like, here's, here's my, here's what I think. Like if I'm drifting around a corner, right? The back end's out. If I'm not at red line and I have a little more to go, if I punch it to get more wheel speed, if the car's understeering when I turn in the wheel just a little bit more, something is not right. That doesn't make any sense to me why that would happen, you know? Right. Uh-huh. 
And that's that's what I always felt when I would drive E36s. Like, what the heck? They're always understeering. Like, mid-drift, also understeering. I hate that feeling. Hmm. Really? Um, I've never noticed that driving the BMW. Yeah, because, of course, you know, Kenyon here has been quiet this whole time. He's got his <laughs> E36 compact, and you have the SL, SLR, SLR kit, kit on that front. one. And I don't know, maybe it's because that's what you've driven and you don't notice it. Maybe. I also have a, like a lot of front grip more than other people because I got like the, the race tires up there and stuff. So maybe that helps with it a bit too. But huh. if, yeah, I have never noticed understeering other than if you just drove wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure it's also a big part of setup too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to drive like with larger back tires with like the least amount of air possible, you know? trying to get every mile per hour I can get, and it starts to rear its ugly head the further you push it. You know what I mean? Right. Interesting. So you're pushing for more wheel speed is essentially what you try to do. The the least amount of wheel speed possible to complete the course so you get the most speed, right? The least slip. Right. Most amount of vehicle speed. Right. And, like, I want to be able to transition on, like, a sharp section without lifting the gas, like... Enough grip to overpower it. But then there's all these complications where you get too much front grip just off a tire compound. And then the next thing you know, like the car can't counter steer fast enough and you find yourself in like an insane spin. You know, you've seen cars do that. Right. Yeah. So. So is this this kit that you developed for the E36 something that you're, you're selling? I might start selling it. I haven't decided. (laughs) Is it is it like an entire new suspension setup, or is that just a knuckle or lower arm? Like what? I, and you don't have to give away your secrets, but I'm just curious on what's different from some of the other kits that are out there. So I'll so we started out with a kit that had extended lower control arms that were four inches longer per side. Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then we went down to two inches longer per side. And then we went down to stock E36 with adjustable lollipops and an, an adapter on the knuckle. And now we run an offset of negative 90, I think, up front or negative 80. Wow. That's how wide of a wheel? Uh, nine wide, nine and a half or nine. That's that's quite an impressive amount of offset. It's almost four inches, right, of, of negative offset. Yep. And uh, with with each shorter arm and larger offset, the car got more and more responsive, and you had to let off the gas less and less to complete your lap around the track. Huh. Interesting. Which it's the same thing I kept finding in my simulations too. Sure. The bigger the scrub radius, the more extreme maneuvers you're able to do, and more you can control it. Also, it's a win-win. So are are you going to be doing some more researching on this sort of setup with your with your own vehicle, or do you feel like you got it pretty dialed in for uh, who'd you say you got you made it for? Damien. Damien. Yeah. Johnny Bones. Yeah. Yeah. No, I copied it basically identically. I did. I have my front end's already set up. I have one slight change in the kingpin inclination, um, but just just testing one more little theory because. You know, you don't want the front end to feel so heavy either. You know, you want right. to, you don't want to be feel like you're fighting it, right? Right. No, totally. That would make sense. You want it to be easy to drive at the same time, right? 
Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. It needs to be like. So the funny thing about this setup, it's so unconventional, but you end up being able to drift your car basically no handed. Nice. Like you're not you're not holding on to the wheel. Just assen <laughs> just essentially all throttle based and weight driven. Yeah. So like I was able to complete laps around the UMC jelly bean. <laughs> like no no hands almost the whole way just by transitioning by letting off the gas at that's the right awesome. time and getting that's, back on it that's very interesting i uh i am very excited to to see you finish the bmw because i i'd love to get the opportunity to see you driving it out there are you planning uh, to you, perhaps you guys can drive it no i want to see you drive it <laughs> i don't think you want to see any of us drive that car. <laughs> We're not very Especially good. Especially you. <laughs> yeah, you guys you guys actually are really good. Oh, thank you. We appreciate it. I'm that. impressed with you guys. You're impressive. Thank you. So what's what's your sort of uh timeline with the BMW? I, I, I don't know when uh when um hot lap is, is or hot lap, wait, what was it called? Hot hot pits. Hot pits, yeah. When is that and like what's kinda of your timeline? Yeah, now I don't have a big timeline with Drift Week seven coming up. I got another car for Drift Week Seven. Okay. I was trying to take this Beamer to the Y Plate event for to win that uh, Cresta. To try to win it. Oh, okay. Barely missed that, so I I put it on the back burner until spring because no rush now. Gotcha. Yeah. I've got a E39 for Drift Week Seven. Nice. E39. Isn't that like a 540? An older 540. Yep. Is that the one with the V8? There's a V8 with a six-speed manual. That's sweet. Huh. Sounds like a fun combo. That's actually the car that I, I traded to get my Miata. I had one of those with a 4.4 V8 in it. And the only problem that really threw me away from that car was the fact that it needed a lot of suspension, a lot of drivetrain components that I didn't want to spend BMW money on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel ya. I've got the front end ripped apart on this, developing an angle kit for it because they don't make any because it has a weird double lower A-arm setup. Oh, strange. So when you're so, when you're developing these kits, are this is this stuff you're doing with like hand tools or like are you do you have access to nicer equipment? Like what kind of uh, components are you making? So like. The Beamer stuff isn't as easy as Nissan because Nissan uses a lot of the same measurements for parts. So usually I'm able to mix and match parts for Nissans to make something work. Right. Mm -hmm. The Beamer, I've got to go the whole Heim joint, rod end, yeah. like, like route of getting all the arms and stuff. And like build everything. Yeah. So I get my baseline measurements and start building and welding on the tabs and all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. And are you cutting it all out by hits. hand? No, I just try to do everything tubular as possible. Not, not like uh folded or anything like that. Sure. Not sheet metal construction. Is that just because it's uh, easier to work tube? Um, I just like to imagine if I crash, how easy is it to replace the piece? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I try sense. to use the same size rod ends for multiple pieces and just try to get everything. So it's easy to replace parts because sure. I plan on selling this kit and I want to be able to get spares for it. Yeah. To reproduce it easily, make it consistently. 
um, and everything of that sort. What uh, what's your yeah. what's your outlet for selling stuff like this? Do you have a website or? Yeah, I need to get a website going. To be honest, I have a domain. I haven't put anything on. <laughs> so, are you selling when you when you sell stuff? Is it mostly through connections currently, or things like Facebook? Pretty yeah, pretty much just connections. Huh. And that can go a long ways, honestly. I think a lot of people, you know, that's that's how a lot of businesses are formed. Of course, is just purely through connections that you know. And I've noticed in the drift world, it seems like it's fairly easily or fairly easy to connect with people on the other side of the U.S. through drifting. You know, like I'm friends on Facebook with all these people who I've never met in person at all, but I'm friends with them because they, they drift, you know? Yes, exactly. Makes it easy to and get like, a broad range of connections. Yes. Like the Q45 thing spread like wildfire because okay. I made a couple posts online and there's a handful of people that drift them now on like the east coast and i just gave them my angle kit info and they could piece it together themselves based gotcha. off of that you know well, that's super nice so you know like um sorry go ahead and continue i don't know if you had something else to follow that with yeah like maybe i would tell them like you have to shave a few millimeters off of this joint or whatever yeah. stuff like that so so someone here uh Jaden, uh recently picked up a it's it's borderline Datsun, I guess, but it's a Max, it's a Nissan Maxima. Synonymous. Yeah, it's a five ten, basically. Have you ever messed around that with any of those? That that old Maxima, that like eighties one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You bought that? Yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, right? Then yeah. I, I saw it and I was like, well, guess I'm buying that. Yeah, I know exactly what those things look like underneath. Yeah, I've I've heard of uh, some compatibility with with S thirteen parts. Oh yeah, yeah, you could definitely definitely get a drift setup on that if that's what you're going for. Yeah, yeah, I, I you you may be hearing me hearing from me in the next while. <laughs> Let's make it happen. All right. I guess the only difficult part, because I think the front end, you know, it looks like you can use S thirteen parts, but I don't know anything about the rear end with that solid axle that it has. Is that one a wagon with a solid axle? It was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, they're impossible to get axle shafts for. You might want to run that thing on 15 inches so you don't snap any shafts. Gotcha. Or just ditch the axle for something else. We were even looking yeah. at like if we cut the Mustang. tabs off of it. Yeah, we could put in like an 8.8 or something out of the Mustang. Because it looks like it wouldn't be too bad to cut tabs off and just re-weld them to another axle tube. I don't know. I hear 8.8s are just super weak. (laughs) 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 Sure, sure. But um, I guess, you know, following all that, is there... um, So you don't have, like, any brand loyalty. You kind of go with what works for you. I have brand loyalty to Part Shop Max for coilovers. <laughs> is there? Is that just because I think you're saying that you had a partial sponsorship or something like that? Yeah, I've been. I've had a long relationship with them, and I've tried like every brand of coilover you can think of, from Max Speeding Rods to BCs, Megans, D2s. Uh, like, what else? KW feel mm-hmm. part shot max is seriously 
the best coilover you can get for like 1200 bucks really? seriously they ride so good the clicks actually do stuff like really noticeably uh -huh. the collars never ever get seized i've never had one seize up Okay. And like, if I want something weird from them, they will get it for me. Like if I need a tube that has no tabs on it, that threads into the shock, they'll sell it to me. So oh, that way you cool. could I guess, cool. build your own coilover essentially. Yep. And they also sell replacement shocks. You just click it, it, add to cart and you can get a shock. They're Easy like enough. 165 bucks. That's pretty good. I'll have to look into that. I don't feel like I've heard much about them. Like, that's not a name that I'm very familiar with, I guess, off the shelf. Um, but I realize there's also probably a lot of coilover brands that I'm not too familiar with. Well, you also run lowering springs. Right? I also run lowering <laughs> springs. Yeah, I have H&R lowering springs on the Mustang. And, hey, they work. They're simple. They are better than your cut springs. You they are with. better than the cut springs. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. I, uh, I learned my lesson there. But it did work. It got me out there. You got a lot of laps on cut springs. I did. I right. ran like a season and a half on cut springs. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, I, I tell you, it was not a good ride quality, but it was better than stock for drifting, at least in my opinion. Just less, slightly less body roll. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, in drifting, that's not really something people talk about, but the steering jacking is like the probably the single biggest factor that'll affect how well your car drifts and like the number one way to affect steering jacking is to run more negative offset up front if and if it's stacking spacers on spacers to make it <laughs> that lever arm bigger uh, -huh. uh that automatically combats body roll and drift because it's lifting up the leading wheel i mean the body of the car on the leading wheel oh, yeah. really? equalizing body roll. So yeah. is that kind of like with, uh, I know, especially with, you know, the Nova where his wheel will often come off the ground. Is that kind of that same principle that you're talking about? Yeah. That combined with the inclination, like how far in the actual strut is angled towards the center of the car is that that's the three wheel. That is how they three wheel so much. Uh -huh. And so it's like three, wheel on demand the more angle they crank on the greater the chance they're going to three wheel you know you're you're the the reason i have spacers up front and your your recommendation to, to put those on on the supra and i did and I, I i noticed difference i mean i still don't have a ton of spacers up front yet but even just the small amount that i did i noticed that any car that's the first mod i do really so immediately yeah, i try to see if i can fit a two inch spacer <laughs> that's yeah, the yeah. biggest spacer i can fit on this well, thing let's see i'm running a two inch spacer on the mustang um up front and because i read that's what a lot of people said you know made a difference and i definitely also noticed a difference but i guess i'm not a person who understands all that geometry because that's when you're getting into that's just a lot of, there's a lot of science really i think behind that that people don't realize you know it's not just slapping an angle kit on there right yeah, and some angle kits are designed, cough, cough, wise fab, to eliminate jacking. Really? And it really makes cars drive, like, bad why until do, you you're do locked into drift. Theoretically, it's like a Formula One theory. Keep all the wheels evenly loaded and flat on the ground, and you'll have more control. But if you're mid-drift, like... 
we don't have a thousand horsepower to the wheels. We got to charge up our speed, chuck the car in, and it's like landing from a from a jump. Once it lands, our inertia is going to carry us to a set point based on based on the weight and the speed we're going and the traction of the tires, right? Right. If you have both front tires firmly, squarely on the ground, and you sneeze and move the wheel two degrees, <laughs> the car will bobble. Like, I don't have enough self-control to manually steer my car to every single zone around the track every time perfectly. I find it's easier to go as fast as I can and aim it at a point before I throw it in and hope that that point I aimed at was the right direction. Mm -hmm. and just adjust my entry that way so I land in the same spot every time. Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. With the other theory, you have to literally steer the car to the zone you want with the steering wheel, which I think is really weird. That's not drifting to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even those, those people who do like gravitate towards that style they still are the kind of people who talk about still have to have really good throttle control like it's not like every people who have the the line of reasoning that you were saying that like fd has is they don't think that you do all of your control with your your um your steering they're kind of just more so blending it together when it seems like yours is just almost eliminating steering altogether and only relying on throttle yeah, and like if I'm dialing in my car for a track, I'm setting up the angles slightly differently so I can be my goal is always averaging maximum throttle percentage per lap. That's my number one goal. Hmm. And when what's the main reason uh, and I know we've kind of discussed it a little bit, but what's what's your main reasoning for that? Why why are you wanting to go full throttle? Like what's what's your your uh driving style that would that incorporates that, I guess. Well, it makes it, you go the fastest mm -hmm. and then the smokiest and then the most angle. Yeah. Right. So I consider those in that order, I think is, is order of coolness. Which, I, which I think is what everyone is. <laughs> and I think everyone's shooting for that. And like, it's interesting here because I, I believe you have a totally different uh, starting point, you know, to aim for that, that uh, allows you to, get to it if that makes sense at all um what, what do you mean like you're you're starting um from a different point like you're shooting to hit full throttle every lap because i know there's people who their goal is you know most angle they're not even considering throttle and so it's interesting to hear how your your goal is full throttle and you're essentially dissecting the drifting of how to attain full throttle it's like okay i need more angle to utilize that. I need uh, better steering geometry to utilize that. I, and I don't know if I'm explaining that in the greatest, but it's it seems like you shoot for a different goal from the start that others are shooting for. Yeah, and I think I think you got it just right. It's that's all from the the mindset of it's a competition. Yeah, yeah. You're, <laughs> the you're the easiest to way to win. The easiest way to win is to completely gap the person behind you yeah and so I, be the fastest right so if you can be the fastest you also have to hit those outer zones or else you're going to get basically you're going to lose because you missed the zone so you have to be able to be the fastest while hitting outer zones and then 
then you have to be able to control it in the chase if you're going against a slower car. Yeah. No, that so makes... you have to have the three factors. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's definitely interesting to hear, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, we're all rather novice, I would say, in the suspension geometry department. Like, I'm, we're still learning, or at least I am. And I think I can speak for some of the other guys here that we're learning these different principles, you know, the Ackerman, there's steering jacking and stuff like that. Like I've never even talked about steering jacking ever. I think when it's come to drifting and I don't know if that's something like Daxton or, or Jaden have ever even considered before or even Kenyon, you know? Yeah, not really. No, that's, that's something that I, I personally have not looked a ton into. I mean, to me, it's always just been about angle, getting your Ackerman set up, right. Getting your angle set up, right. And, and having a suspension that feels comfortable that you can feel the weight transfer, that's as far as my knowledge really goes with the suspension side of things. But I also really like that you, you shoot for full throttle because I like the sound that my car makes. Really <laughs> <like> <laughs> so that's, is like, that's kind I, of my driving style as well. I've yeah. thought about it, but I, I don't have anywhere near as much seat time as anyone here. And so I it's all theoretical uh, contemplating that I do. not no No actual, like experience to compare it to or or see what what one thing does better than another aside from like i said i, I put on spacers that one time just because you, you told me to and 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 i noticed it, it it changed it but so i guess kind of following that as we're, we're wrapping up here with our our podcast we're getting close to time what's you know for someone who's just getting into the drifting or even not you know someone who's in it like what's you know from your perspective what are the best things you can do usually for your car? And I know it's hard because each chassis is different, but what are your usually like top recommendations? So if I have all the money in the world, I'll just start this and work down. If I had all the money in the world, I'd get a motor that revs really high because this gives me like the equivalent of having a 12-speed transmission instead of a 6-speed if I have two rev ranges on the motor, right? Yeah. So that's going to give you a lot of versatility on the track. And then I'm going to say, most likely you're going to run a one, want to run big front wheel spacers, way stiffer front springs than the rear, drop the front sway bar, put on a bigger rear sway bar, and then run the widest tires you can on the, the front and the back. Within reason, don't don't run like a 275 up front. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You're talking like 255, 265s, or? Yeah, like max 265 on the front, you know, 265 to 285 on the back. If you just do that to any car in the world, regardless of Ackerman or or angled in degrees, your car is going to be a beast. Okay. So... Like Ackerman doesn't matter if only three wheels are on the ground. <laughs> right, right. Somehow I've uh, I've stumbled upon that mixture that you just gave. I've I don't know why, but dropping my front sway bar, stiffening up the rear really good, and just kind of that that basic layout you just gave is I just stumbled into that, and somehow that's like that really is how my car feels the best because I I was always told spacers were a terrible thing to have in drifting, and I don't know when Me that too. yeah I mean it, it was really weird because I I stacked uh, one inch spacers up front, so I had uh, I had two inches of spacers on the front end, and that's honestly when my car felt the best. Now I've got some lower offset wheels with a one-inch spacer, and so I'm at a zero offset with a one-inch spacer, and it feels amazing. No front sway bar, just kind of that, that the way that it whips around the front end and how it will self-steer a lot better 
it, it feels amazing. And I, I had no formula to get there. It was just kind of whatever felt best to me. And somehow I stumbled upon that. Yeah. I mean, we were chasing that kind of feel way back in the day. We thought we had to cut and extend our lower control arms and like modify stuff to get like 10 degrees of caster, you know, and like to, to try to get the same feeling and drift of self steer and like the wheel whipping through your fingers real nice. But the cars just understeered everywhere. It became so hard to enter without a handbrake. So I feel like the spacer thing gets rid of that understeer and gives you the opportunity to drive like in different ways. You can still enter on handbrake, but if you want to whip it in, it'll turn as well. It's really crazy. I couldn't believe that. When I came into this, I didn't know that's what I was going to find. But as I did all these calculations and math and tested, I'm like, dang, <laughs> Spacer makes a bigger difference than any other mod with the rear sway bar being number two. Interesting. So if you if if you had the option, and 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 it doesn't really come down to cost, but would you rather have a, a a spacer or just a low offset wheel what what would you recommend if you can go a super low offset wheel to get rid of the spacer is that essentially doing the same thing or is that spacer really adding that much i mean if you could find a wheel that was like negative 50 and it, you like the look of it that'd be cool i just try to keep all my wheels at a 35 offset front rear all my spares so i just stack up spacers accordingly Personally, that's how I do it. So I don't have any like super random wheels, wheels that can't fit here or there. Right. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's a great reasoning. Well, we're uh we're pretty much at our hour, so we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping up. But thank you very much, Bailey, for joining us today, and thanks for being our guinea pig with the first Zoom call in and and figuring this all out. We had a little bit of a, a weird one at the start, but we got it figured out thanks to a uh, thanks to our wonderful producer <laughs> you guys are so kind <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been super interesting to hear your perspective on this geometry and i would love for you to you know take a look at our cars in person next time you're available and uh get some pointers from you there for sure um but if you have do you have a social you'd like to shout out yeah go ahead and follow me uh cat daddy tuning on instagram that's about all i got i'll have a new youtube coming out very soon frog tube oh, yeah. Frog oh, frog too. <laughs> well, so I think I, I think I missed this at the beginning. Real quick, what what is it with the frogs? Frogs are the apex predator. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Oh. Uh, but thank you, Ken. You, you guys are us. yeah, no problem. Yeah, you. You guys are all away. super good. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm really impressed with your driving. The tandem videos I see coming out. You guys bump into each other in drift what the heck each <laughs> <laughs> other's cars bumper <laughs> no. cars super pumped for you guys you guys are awesome thank you awesome. thank you that means a lot coming from you we'll and look forward I, to talking with you more yeah absolutely um good luck with your uh with your season good luck with the e36 and good luck with your business hopefully you can take that uh that hot it was a hot pit Is yeah that, hot pit hopefully you can take that hot yep. pit win We'll, take, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah and um, Daxing, don't forget to drop our, our Instagram. Oh, yes. Uh, go ahead and follow us at clueless underscore drifting on Instagram. 
And uh, thank you guys for all the support. Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe, and go give Bailey some love. Yeah, Leave us a review share, if you can. Share us with your friends. Thanks, all. Bye. 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 Peace out.